Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. The Bruins are on fire, people. I hope you're taking notice. I hope that we're getting more Bruins fans out there. I don't even care if they're bandwagoners bandwagoners at this point. People need to start paying attention to this Bruins squad because we might have something, people. All right, hello. Welcome in. We got another episode here, the Friday episode. We're ending the week, and of course, we're going to get into some major Patriots topics because that is the biggest game coming up this weekend. I have Andrew coming on later in the show to be able to break down everything about the Patriots. We're going to talk about the keys to the matchup, what we what we like, what we don't like going into this game. We are going to talk about the wrap-up of the NFL, all that kind of stuff. But I do want to talk about the NHL first. I want to talk about the Bruins specifically. I do want, I'll do. i also get in a little bit of Celtics talk, but not too much of it because I'm just so frustrated with that team right now. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, like I said, talking about the Bruins, this team, man. They have now won their their last two games since we last talked on Wednesday. You absolutely destroyed the Canadians, which made me happy on Wednesday night, five to one. Just an absolute, just destruction level event for the Canadians. I just, I mean, to start off that game, it just looked like from the beginning the Bruins were playing against an AHL squad. It looked like that or that joke playing out in real life. How we always or I've talked about in the past. How you know the the worst NFL team against the best college team? So usually Alabama, uh, and how the the NFL team would just make them look silly like little children. That's what the 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 Bruins were doing in this game to the Canadians, which you love as a Bruins fan. Regardless of, I know that the rivalry isn't what it is anymore. It's it's basically non-existent, kind of like the Yankees and the Bru and the uh, Red Sox. It doesn't exist anymore. There is no rivalry, but in this one. It was a great game. If you're a Bruins fan, they absolutely dominated them. I mean, Marshan was doing literally whatever he wanted on that ice. His hat trick was insane. He, his fifth hat trick of his career. His he included a thirty his thirty third career shorthanded goal in this one. He was batting pucks out of the air. He was diving on the ice and getting lucky bounces. Marshan could do no wrong in this one here. He he was doing whatever he wanted. But th- like I said, this team. The Bruins were treating the Canadians like they were playing against an AHL team. It, that's what it felt like. The first 10 faceoffs, Bruins won nine of them. I know that whatever, that stat, whatever. But, I mean, it just showed how dominant they were right out the gate. Uh, the, 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 the Bruins did get kind of a cheap power play for the Canadians after they, they got that player without a helmet nonsense, which I, I don't know. I don't want to go on too much of a tangent right now, but I do kind of – think that that's a soft penalty in hockey I get it we're all trying to avoid head injuries nowadays and nobody wants concussions nobody wants to see somebody hit their head directly on the ice obviously or get hit by a puck or another player or whatever but in that situation there can we all talk seriously for a second and and understand that their player got their helmet ripped off by our Bruins player I forget who it was I I don't know if it was a bleed or uh, I don't know who it was behind the net Basically grab the Canadians player, rip their helmet off. That player grab or doesn't grab the helmet immediately because the puck is still in the zone and the Bruins are still attacking. He tries to get out and make a defensive play. I that rule is it needs to be worked on to me. That the rule that you need to immediately skate off the ice or go get your helmet is dumb. There needs to be more stipulations to that rule. Because I get it. Once again, we're trying to avoid head injuries in this in this day and age. I get that. 
But man, that looks really soft when a team gets a penalty because a player just tried to play defense and the other team had taken his helmet off. I, I, that was the one thing that I'll be in the Canadians' favor on uh, in this game here. But otherwise, it was all Bruins. Um, you had Marshan, once again, like I said, crazy bounces, tip-ins, whatever. You had DeBrusque just throwing shots at the net, and it bounces off of Lazar's foot to make it 3 nothing. You, you, all the puck luck in the world. You had uh, the Bruins doing whatever they wanted. Um, it, it, was, it was just a beatdown, an absolute beatdown in this game. And then later on, the Bruins did get a little bit lazy, and they let the Canadians score one goal. And then Bergeron didn't didn't like the high hit on Grizzlick, so he went after that player on the Canadians, and he did kind of a like a fall down, double punch to the back of the head kind of move, which I was thinking, all right, Bergeron, let's not be crazy now. Let's not do anything ridiculous. I know that you didn't like the hit on Grizzlick, but those were a couple of moments where I was a little iffy from the Bruins. But overall, great performance. And I was very happy by the squad overall. And then you go... And you're going to play against the Flyers. So you think, okay, you just played against an AHL squad. You you beat up on them. It's great. Tuka Rask was back. He was sitting on the bench. And then you're going to go into the Flyers game, which was going to be the first game for Tuka back. And I, I'm, man, the whole Tuka situation is so weird to me right now because Yes, he did all the right things. He said all the right things. He got his surgery. He went out and he said, I will just do do the veteran minimum $1 million, which is going to be prorated to five hundred grand. i am not making any money. I just want to come back and give effort for my teammates. That is something that I'm not used to from Tuka Rask. That, that, every other time, it's felt as though it was Tuka thinking about Tuka. This time, this decision, it felt like he was thinking about the team. So that gives you a good starting point with Tuca in this this part of the the season here but there is a lot more NHL games to be played there is a big portion of this season that still needs to be played and hopefully Tuca can be some kind of spark though I didn't think that we really needed one from the Bruins I get I get that it'll be nice to have Swayman playing every single day which he'll be able to do for Providence in the AHL and that's good for a young goalie but you know what also is good for a young goalie being able to face off against NHL competition Every other night. that That's really good for a young goalie that's developing and trying to develop against NHL talent. I'll tell you that right now. But you had Tuka going in that Flyers game. In the next game, uh, the, the, the second game of a back-to-back, though they were just playing against an AHL squad. I can't say that enough. I love disrespecting the Canadians. I'm sure some other people out there listening do as well. But you had that game against the Flyers, and they're no joke. And I want to talk about that game when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. The Bruins are good. The Boston Bruins are good. They have been dominating teams since coming off of the COVID break, and I am not going to stop giving this statistic until they have a game where they just don't score whatsoever. They have scored 36 goals in eight games from being back from the COVID break. 36 goals in eight games since the line changes being made to split up the perfection line and make more scoring throughout the other lines as well. This team is on fire. They are 21-11-2, still sitting in that number two wildcard spot, trying to gain a little bit of momentum and get up there a little bit higher, but they are firmly in there by about seven points, I believe, in that second wildcard spot. And they just played another game against the Flyers, 
and it had its ups and downs, but they were able to get another win, 3-2 to two in this one, and you had Tuka Rask out there. It was an interesting game. You had Bruins dominating the first period. You had Pasternak getting a couple of quick goals to start it off. It's always nice when you have Tuka Rask, or any goalie, I should say, especially coming back off of an injury, that gets spotted two goals before they even face a single shot. Now, I've talked about this in pre- past episodes. The tough thing about hockey, especially when it comes to the goaltending situation, is sometimes less shots is worse for the goalie. Because when they're not seeing a lot in the beginning, they might be surprised by whatever they get when they finally do start seeing some shots. So you do kind of want a goalie to get some shots early, get them into the game, get them loosened up. Okay, I can do this, especially a Tuka Rask who hadn't played it since last year. But... It is what it is. You end up getting the first two goals of the game before Tuka even faces a shot, which was great. And then you are moving on throughout this one, through this battle. Now, one quick side note I want to make. This game was on ESPN, and I love that. I've talked about that in previous episodes. Anytime that the game is not on Nesson, I am happy now. It was on TNT the night before. It was on ESPN last night. Great. Love it. Please give me more. Bruins are hot right now. Keep putting them on national TV. Give me a reason to not have to watch Nesson. But I will say, the weird camera angles that ESPN kept putting us in, I just didn't understand that. Now, I don't know if that's just an ESPN thing, but what was with the let's throw it to the nosebleed cam for the entire Bruins power play? People will love that type of thinking. I don't, what were we doing? If anyone else is out there as crazy as I was about that, it was literally shots from the, the, yeah, the the nosebleed sections at the very top of the garden, looking down from the, the, the top. It didn't make any sense to me. I didn't like it. I wasn't a big fan of it. Get back to the normal camera angles. But I will say, once again, if you're going to give me a game on ESPN or TNT, you can give me whatever camera angle you want. As long as it's not on Nesson anymore, I'm big big against Nesson at this point. So give me whatever camera angles, whatever. I digress from the entire situation here. You had a great game in this one against the Flyers. A Flyers team that, in that first period, they looked flat. They did. The Bruins were much better in the first period. And they were able to dominate that and and go 2-0 in the first period. Very nice, dominating in a lot of different facets of the game. Second period, you had Zach McEwen of the Philadelphia Flyers completely flip the momentum of the game. He took that fight with Tyler Lewington, and he, I got to say this, I mean, the Bruins got the much worse side of this one. It, It looked like McEwen basically was ragdolling Tyler around the ice at certain points during this fight. I know that Tyler probably got in more punches technically, but they were not good punches. And then it looked like uh, Zach McEwen was just throwing him around, throwing him up against the boards, throwing him down to the ice, picking him back up, trying to hit him again. So that definitely bought some good energy or brought some good energy to the Flyers because after that, they really started working. After that, and they kept noticing it on the broadcast as well, that that fight got them a little bit more energized. They were able to tie the game with two goals after that. You had the Cam Atkinson one uh, on the power play. Then you had that uh, the, the Joel Farabee goal where he collected that crazy bounce and then made Charlie McAvoy look like a child out there. That was upsetting. Charlie McAvoy had some major mistakes in especially that second period. Later in that second period, that... There are times with Charlie McAvoy where I just want to put my head through a wall. Some of the mistakes that this kid makes, I get it. 
He's still developing. He's still very young. Just got a huge contract. Is the leader of the defense. It's just that when you have that kind of stuff on your side, the mistakes look much more glaring. The the, the play where he also got kind of held up at the blue line, then just turned without looking and tried to pass it to his other D partner, which was easily picked off by uh, by Fairby, and he gets uh, a two-on-one situation where they ended up getting a little bit lucky with a puck bouncing back to Joel, and he was able to put it in for a nice, easy goal there to tie it up. That was tough. That was a tough look on McAvoy. He had, you know, two situations there between the getting made to look like a child by Farabee and then the other one where he he just throws it out across and, and just gives away the puck. Very tough situations. Didn't like it whatsoever, but... You go later into the game, and you had Tuca make a save on a crazy breakaway. I'm sorry, that was when McAvoy made that turnover. I, I was mixing up the other two goals. McAvoy got destroyed by Joel Farabee when he got that crazy puck bounce, and he made him look like a child. And then later in the game, McAvoy makes that horrible pass from the blue line to blue line, gets the, the gives up the breakaway, but Tuca saves his butt and makes a crazy save there. The Flyers did get a couple of bonehead penalties right afterwards to put the Bruins on a five-on-three advantage. And then after all that chaos in the front with Bergeron fighting, he we were able to get a Pasternak goal on his second chance. That, that was amazing. He got his hat trick. He was able to pick out his hat just like Marchand did the night before against the Canadians. Marchand got a better hat, though, overall. Marchand got that pink cowboy, sparkly pink cowboy hat. Um I didn't even see what the one Parsonak picked, but it definitely wasn't as good as that. Uh, but it was great. It, it was it was a good battle from most of the players. I was a little upset with McAvoy at times in that one, though. You had Carter Hart playing really good for the the Flyers. I would say overall, you had that Tuca stepping up again once he started getting into rhythm. He had that great stop on the wraparound by Konecki. Konecki, ugh, I can't pronounce that guy's name. When uh, Mike Riley had forced him around the net instead of being able to get it right to the, the the front of the net, there you had the weird moment where the Flyers pulled the goalie with three minutes and forty five seconds left in the game, and they they contained the puck the entire time and were able to keep beating on the Bruins, and the Bruins were able to fight it off. You even had Bergeron missing a clear full ice shot with about two minutes left in the game that could have put it away at four to two, but. They were able to bounce back. The Flyers were and keep the momentum going. And the Bruins fought it off. So it was a great win, a hard-fought win. The Bruins score three goals minimum again, and they're just rolling right now. I'm looking forward to the next game. We're going to play against the Predators on Saturday night, or, or Saturday afternoon, I should say. That's a 1 p.m. game, unfortunately, on Nesson. And so we will see what this Bruins team can do. But people, wake up. we got to start watching this Bruins squad more clearly they are doing good, they are playing great, and they are giving me hope for this season right now. All right, let's talk about the other team in the room. We'll talk about the Celtics when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. The Celtics are back to 500 once again. They are sitting now at a record of 21-21 and 21 as they are coming off of a win against the Pacers in a game where they just basically dominated this one. You're going to have these nights for the Celtics where they look good, they're hitting their shots, and they're able to do everything that you want. But I will say that there was moments in this one, even that Scalabrini 
was saying that he was worried about the Pacers coming back. At the end of the second quarter, it looked like the Pacers were making a crazy run using Miles Turner and some other players to be able to get back in that one. I was getting nervous. I'm not going to lie. They they seemed like they were getting right back to it, and then they only had a five-point lead at halftime. But the second half, they took over once again. They were able to take care of business in this game. You had both of the Jays doing work in this one. I believe they are now, what, 2-0? and lifetime when both the Jays score over 30, 30 points and you had Tatum scoring 33 on 19 shots. You had Jalen Brown scoring 34 on 19 shots. It was very efficient. It was a great game by the squad. It was a good game to beat a crappy Pacers team, a team that you should never lose to. But there there we are. We, we are now on a three-game win streak. Once again, you've heard this multiple times before. His team has never had more than a three-game win streak, and it's never had more than a three-game losing streak. So it has just been back and forth, 500 basketball. This team will show you some good, and then it'll show you some of the worst that it's got. Back to back and forth, back and forth, just like that. So, I, you know, this game... What can you take from it? It's tough to take a lot from it. They need to start putting together some wins at this point. And you now have the two toughest matchups of January back-to-back as they play against the 76ers in Philadelphia tonight at 7 o'clock. And then tomorrow on Saturday, they play against the Bulls at 8.30. Those are two really good teams. The Sixers, I know... A lot of people tell me we always beat the Sixers. The Sixers are nothing. Don't worry about the Sixers. But in the regular season lately, you have not been beating the Sixers as much as you think you have, Celtics fans. So this is going to be a tough game on the road for a Celtics squad who's now on a three-game win streak. And like I said, they have not had a four-game win streak or better this entire season. Can they do it? I don't know. This would be really big if they were able to even split these next two games or by some miracle win the next two games, that would be a changing of the guard for the season. I highly doubt it'll happen, especially because the Bulls are just so good right now. They are on fire, best team in the conference, and so that'll be a real test for the green teamers to look at their squad and understand they're just not as good as you think they are. It's just it's just a fact. I'm not. I don't think anyone's surprised about that at this point. But you know, the little things to take from from the Pacers game. Not much from it. I mean, there was the goofy moments in the game where it seemed like there are times where you see the old Horford, and then there are some times when you see the young Horford, which is kind of goofy to me. Al Horford still has the ability to show the young Horford moves every once in a while for little periods at a time. He'll look extremely efficient. He'll be able to still drive to the hoop and throw down a dunk. He'll be hitting his threes, whatever it is. I find that the Celtics most of the time, go with how Horford is going. Because when he's on point, he's making passes, he's setting up the plays a lot better, he can you know, do whatever he needs to do to get this team on point. And when some of the younger guys are just not in the right headspace, it seems like Horford can turn things up. Now, I mean, most of the time, he's just old Horford. That's just how it is. But sometimes there are some flashes when big Al Horford is able to get back to his old school, younger day ways, and he makes a few moves here and there. So I've been happy about that. But overall, a lot of question marks. A lot of question marks with this team. You got you got the, the now people keep questioning, should you be looking to trade a, a Schroeder who has a very manageable contract? And, you know, he's been up and down this year. He's starting to play a little bit better right now. Is it time where his, his trade value is at the highest? Should you go try and get something for him? I don't even know what this team needs right now. I guess you need more scoring. It would be really nice to be able to have a player that could come off the bench 
and really consistently score for this squad, but I don't know even who, who you're going to go get at this point. So I, I, I don't know. Is this a lost season right now? In my opinion, yeah, it kind of is. It's, it's uh, you know, we don't have the ability to even, in my opinion, go and win a playoff series. I know you've heard this from me multiple weeks now in a row. I'm just complaining about this squad, but do I have any reason to change my opinion? They're sitting at 21 and 21. They're 10th place in the conference currently, and they are not looking like they can really beat anybody, in my opinion, anybody of any real merit, I should say right now because this next two games would be a huge couple of games for this team to win the the Sixers are 23 and 17 much better than the Celtics right now the Bulls are 27 and 12 a dominant squad that is probably the best in the league at least from a record standpoint they are I believe only the Warriors are better than them at this point maybe maybe oh no I'm sorry the the Warriors and the Suns have a better record but the Bulls are definitely the best team in the Eastern Conference. That's just how it is right now. But this team, this Celtics squad, needs to start pulling some games together. Like I said earlier in a couple of episodes ago, this is going to be the easiest month of their schedule going forward. The January month has some of the fluffiest teams that you could possibly face. Now, you already lost a couple of games to the Spurs and the Knicks, two teams that you should not be losing to. But after this Sixers-Bulls game, I can't repeat it enough, you're playing the Pelicans, the Hornets, the Trailblazers, the Wizards, the Kings, the Hawks, the Pelicans again. Tell me, Celtics fans, do any of those teams scare you whatsoever? This team should be able to be... You know, six, seven, eight games over 500 by the end of January if they are really a legitimate squad that can get to the playoffs. So, I don't know. It's time to put up or shut up as far as I'm concerned. I'm not convinced about it. These next two games are going to be huge for the Celtics. I can't wait to talk about it next week. We're going to get more in-depth with the Celtics when we talk about them next week and talk about these two big games against the Sixers and the Bulls this weekend. All right. Now's the time everybody's been waiting for. We got to get into Patriots talk. We got to break down the game against the Bills. We got to talk about some other NFL topics. We're going to do that with Andrew when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. All right, we've been talking a little bit of the Bruins and some Celtics topics, but as I said before, it is time to move on to the Patriots. They have the biggest game of this week of any of the Boston sports teams. We have our playoff matchup. It has been decided we will play the Buffalo Bills for the third time this season. Once again in Buffalo, Saturday nights are at 8.15 or 8.20 or whatever the start time is for that game there, and it's going to be a heck of a game. We're starting to see things like the weather could be a little bit iffy, which is good for the Patriots. And we're going to talk about things like the keys to the game and and what we feel about this, who has the most pressure, stuff like that. We're going to also get into some other topics, more NFL wrap-up related style topics. But I brought Andrew in again to talk about everything Patriots and NFL. We had him on Wednesday as well, but this is such a big week for football. We're going into the playoffs and the Patriots are back in the playoffs, so... First of all, Andrew, I got to say hi hi once again. Glad to have you back on the show again. But we were kind of talking about this off the air. I think we both agree this has got to be, for the Bills fan base, the biggest Patriots-Bills game ever. Do you agree with me on that one? Yeah, 100%. I mean, just the stakes have never been higher for them. I mean, it's been a long time since they've come into a season as early Super Bowl favorites. And uh, surprisingly... 
This is only the second time these two teams have ever actually met in the playoffs. They've only played once, and it was before the Super Bowl era. Patriots won that game in Buffalo, so hopefully that's uh, foreshadowing things to come this week. <laughs> yeah, you hope so there. But that, you know, I did. Uh, I found that funny that the last time they played was like 1965 or something like that in the playoffs. Last time they they had played for for the AFL or whatever it was. But yeah, that was that was an interesting uh, little side thing on this that they haven't played in the playoffs at this point. And so, yeah, it has to be the biggest game as far as Pat's Bills go for the Bills fan base ever. I mean, we've had, obviously, games for the Patriots where it meant a lot for us because it meant, you know, moving on or getting a certain seed or anything like that. But this game, this is huge. And I, I got to also say, all the pressure to me has to be on the Bills. Like you said, they came in as a potential Super Bowl favorite or at least a contender for the Super Bowl this year. They had just won the division last year. They win the division again this year. And I, I'm starting to think, if you can't beat the Patriots in this game for the Bills, that means absolutely nothing. You, yeah, you, you played with house money last year because the Patriots had Cam Newton as the quarterback. You got an easy road to the division, and then you made the most of it, and you got as far as you could, but you, you ended up messing that whole chance up. Now this year, you're battling with the Patriots who just got a rookie quarterback. They're putting themselves back into position to be able to not only fight for the division, but maybe take it back from you already. You have to have the most pressure on your shoulders, right? This is uh, as The Bills fan base must be very worried that things could go right back to the way that they were with the Patriots back on top. Because if the Bills go one and done here, especially against the Patriots, do those division championships even mean anything, do you think, Andrew? No, I don't think they mean a thing. In fact, the way I look at it, like the division, who won the division this year, no longer matters. That's almost, to me, not even really decided yet. Like, yes, technically the Bills won it, and that's why they have home field advantage. But realistically, the matchup for the division to win the AFC East, that is tomorrow on Saturday, in my eyes. Yeah, it's very true. I, I mean, this is this is the actual deciding factor, right? Maybe technically they the end of the season in that position, but if you go out and you immediately lose to the Patriots here, does it feel like you actually won the division, or does it feel like you fell flat on your face to a team who, in my eyes, on paper, is worse than you? Because make no mistake about it, I felt this way all year. The Bills are, at least on paper, the better team. Now, they are inferior when it comes to the coaching staff, sure, but they have a much better quarterback, someone who, regardless of the bonehead decisions that I've said he makes all the time, he still, and I, I say this every single time, I repeat this, repeat this, but he can roll out of bed and be Josh Allen. He could be the guy who throws for 300 yards and rushes for 80 more, and he is able to put up three or four touchdowns in the game, and he's just too dominant for you to be able to stop. We saw that in the second game of the season against Josh Allen. Obviously, in the first one there, you didn't get much, but once again, I always say that was a, a not a football game. That was a weather game. There was 50-mile-an-hour gusts you could barely throw, and, and he still did try to throw. He has a tough enough arm and was able to start doing things towards the end of that game in the first time we played the Bills in Buffalo. But in this one here, it's starting to look like it's going to be a very cold game, maybe not very windy, and I don't think that there'll be much snow or anything like that. I know we had talked about this on Wednesday. He has some stats that are less than impressive. Yes, he has a technically a winning record in games that are uh, you know, close to or, or below 10 degrees, I believe. I forget what the exact stat was there, but... He throws a lot of interceptions when it gets cold. I know that he's already come out and said things that he has circulation problems. He, he feels that his toes get numb when it gets to a certain degree, temperature, things like that. 
Are you excited and, and hopeful that this is going to be as cold of a game as we're starting to think it will be? It's, it's looking like it's going to be really cold in this one. What do you think? Well, yeah, so I was looking at the weather forecast this morning. It looks like at kickoff, it's going to be a low of 3 degrees and a high of 10. So, yeah, it's definitely going to Love be uh, definitely going to be frigid out there. And I think, obviously, as you mentioned, that favors the Patriots um, just because, you know, teams tend to kind of lean on their run games, play more smash-mouth football in these kind of spots because it's, you know, it's cold, it's hard to grip the ball, it just, you know, for the quarterback throwing it, it just it presents a lot of issues. And as you alluded to, Josh Allen has definitely had his struggles in the cold. Um, I was taking a look at his five career games in the cold. Not very good. But then I thought, hey, you know what, maybe some of that skewed from, you know, his rookie year. So I looked at the three games post 2020 season, well, including the 2020 season after his breakout, and um, the numbers didn't get much better. So, if anything, I think this weather is going to heavily, heavily favor the Patriots. Yeah, I think that you're 100% correct there. I love the fact that you're getting into the stats of things, too. And I want to talk about, actually, the article that you wrote, and we're going to promote that a little bit when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Okay, it's playoff time, and we are talking Patriots here because they are back. New England is back in the playoffs. We are playing against the division rival Bills for the third time, round three. Let's go Saturday night, and it's going to be a heck of a game, I believe. And I'm hoping that the Patriots can stay in this one. They desperately need to put in at least a good effort, if not win this, in my opinion. Though I do still feel that all the pressure is on the Bills. I feel as though there is a minute amount of pressure on the Patriots due to the way that they finished their season and everything like that. Now, we were just going over some of the things about the weather and how Josh Allen has been, and Andrew has a lot of great statistics. He's been diving deep into everything involving around this game, the things that are going on with the Bills, the things that are going on with the Patriots, and I know that he's written a nice article about this that I wanted him to you know, let you guys know about because some of the stuff that Andrew writes is great, especially about these Patriots games, especially when he goes deep diving into it. So, Andrew, tell us a little bit about what you got going on, this article coming out, where it's going to be, and everything like that. So the article is going to be for patsbuzz.com, or if you want to find it through Twitter, you can go to my Twitter, at Patriots underscore Andrew. Um, I'm going to have the article pinned to the top of my timeline there. Uh, so basically the whole premise of it was I, I kept seeing all these storylines and narratives throughout the week, and it, it was all basically the same stuff, just recycled from everybody. Everybody's talking about all the same things. So I wanted to take a look at, you know, just some numbers and just different insight that you're not going to really find anywhere else. And, um, you know, I ended up going pretty deep down the rabbit hole and found out some pretty interesting things. Love that. So, yeah, go ahead and read that. Like he said, he's going to pin it on his Twitter, Patriots underscore Andrew, but then also it's going to be up on Pat's Buzz, and so you can find his article there. I like the fact that you're going into the side of things that people aren't talking about because, yes, a lot of people are talking about the same things, and we may end up talking about a few of those things right now when we keep breaking down the game, but I do want to get into the keys to the game for not only the Patriots, but maybe the Bills as well, mostly the Patriots and what the Bills shouldn't be doing. Doing, I'm feeling like there are some certain things that need to happen in the Patriots' favor in order for us to have a chance at winning this game. I think that you can probably put in a good effort, but to be able to win the game, there are some certain key factors that I believe are going to be crucial for the Patriots. Now, I want to be able to get Andrews as well, but I'm thinking I'm going to start off the list right now. 
I'm going to give you my three keys to what is going to happen in this game, and then we'll go over Andrews as well. Now, the first thing that I believe is the most important, it is the thing that everybody's talking about, and it's going to be that the, the colder the game is, the better. Pray for bad weather, because this one, it is going to be crucial, I believe, that you are put into a situation where it's as low a win of, of a temperature as possible. Hopefully some wind comes in, maybe a little bit of snow or something like that would be nice. Pray for the worst weather possible, because that's going to be the biggest factor for this game. That was the way that you were able to dominate them in the first game that you played them in this regular season. And that is going to be the best chance that they have to win a playoff game going forward. My next thing here number two on the list we need to score first I kind of started going over this over the last couple of weeks here this team is a front-running team in my opinion if you can't get out to a lead it is going to be a struggle I do not believe in Mac Jones to be able to bring you back from a touchdown or two touchdown deficit I just don't think that that's the way this team is built we are built to get a hopeful early lead and run the crap out of the ball which leads me to my third key to the game which is time of possession with bully ball we need to be the bullies in this one once again establish the run establish the offensive and defensive line really start to beat up on this squad because the bills the only way that you're going to get to them is by being that bigger team being a bully team and really taking it to this squad now andrew i'm sure that you agree with a couple of those keys there but what are your major keys to this game for the patriots all right, so I'm going to start off with a few points offensively that all kind of work off each other and blend into each other. Um, the first one is basically just be aggressive on early downs, especially in the opening game script. Um, I want them to try and hit a few explosive plays that are scripted early on because one of the problems they've had with their run game in the games that they lose is guys like Damian Harris, who's not much of a pass catcher, he gets scripted out of the game when they're behind by a couple scores and have to throw. So I think... Another aspect of being aggressive on those early downs is you're going to avoid the situations where they've kind of gotten themselves into trouble in recent weeks. And that's third and longs where they haven't been able to convert, especially last time against Buffalo. So I think staying ahead of the chains is going to really help them on this Buffalo D. Um, you know, I just, I don't think that if they play conservative the way that they've had the tendency to I don't think they can win I mean if you're going to play super conservative football against the Bills you might as well just stock the buses and go home now I just I don't think that's going to be a winning strategy for them um, so when you get into the passing game now uh, Buffalo last time they they had their corners play mostly man coverage they took a lot of inside leverage pre-snap just to try to eliminate their any routes that are going to break inside towards the middle of the field and they essentially dared Mac to beat them downfield and beat them outside the numbers, which we know he obviously didn't there. So I want them to run, I guess, some complementary route combinations to scheme guys open, run some man-beating concepts, because Buffalo played a ton of man against them, especially on third downs, and the Patriots really didn't have any answers last time. Now, getting back to the running game a little bit, um, I want them to, obviously, they ran the ball very effectively in both matchups, and I'd like to see them be even more efficient in doing that and I want them to do that by setting up the run with early down passes you know instead of getting to third and long and you know handing it off to Damian Harris trying to go up the middle for six yards when Buffalo knows the run's coming I want it to be you know second and three third and two I want to stay out of those third and long situations as I said and a big part of I think how they can do some trickery against Buffalo is some counter runs I noticed last time when they played every time that you'd 
have like a pulling guard and have the running back counter to the other side, all of Buffalo's defenders would just follow the guard. So I think that's a vulnerability that they can definitely exploit this week. Ooh, I like that. That's that's a great way to do it. I, I think that, yeah, the early passing situations are probably going to be there because the Bills are going to be assuming that they're taking the mentality that I want them to, which is just run the ball all the time. So I agree with that. I also love the counters. That's a that's a great way to yeah, if they're if they're overly aggressive towards one direction when they see the entire line moving one way and you can counter back the other way. That would be a great ability to get past some of their defenders there and keep this run game working, which we know the Bills have a tough time facing the run regardless. So those are some great keys to the game, and hopefully the Patriots are able to pull those things off there. But I do want to get more into what happened with the end of the season here and how we're feeling about this Patriots team going into this and going forward. So we're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. We've been going over the keys to success for the Patriots, what we want this team to be able to do to handle this Buffalo Bills squad that we have to face again the third time. I know I've said it a few times now these last couple of segments, but it is the third matchup with the Buffalo Bills Saturday night in Buffalo. It's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a cold one. And we've been talking, Andrew and I have been talking about the keys to the game here. So, I know that Andrew kind of went over the offensive side of things. I do want to give him a chance to give the keys to the game for the defensive side, though. So, Andrew, I'm going to let you take it away here and tell us what you think the keys are for the defense for the Patriots. All right, well, I think the big one, obviously, because Josh Allen is the head of the snake, obviously, in Buffalo. I think you need to confuse him, and the way that you're going to confuse him is by disguising your coverages. Um, zone has been more effective versus Buffalo. We saw that last week, last time the Patriots played them. Um, but they need to disguise a little more when they're running zone versus when they're running man. And they're going to do that by shifting, kind of rolling safeties after showing one look pre-snap and then have the safeties roll post-snap, whether that be into split safety or a single high. You know, they kind of work the two off each other however they want to do it. They just need to get creative there. Um, they need to eliminate or at least minimize easy yards on checkdowns for the running backs like we uh, like we saw last time they played. I remember you and I talked about how the linebackers were just kind of dropping way too deep into coverage, just kind of in no man's land, and there's nobody within six yards of the running back when they catch the ball. So obviously, you got to eliminate those easy plays. Um, getting back to you know going zone heavy, um, I think they need to get the, unfortunately, as much as I love Dante Hightower, you need to keep thumpers like him and Bentley on the field only for non-passing downs when they do play man, you know what I mean? Because those guys, were, they're just going to get exposed out there in coverage, and that's a vulnerability that Buffalo is just going to exploit. Um, when it comes to the pass rush, I think they need to find a balance between pass rush and containment. They did a poor job at that last time. I mean, not much was going right for that front seven the last time these two teams played. Um, but especially Matt Judon, going to need him to hold the edge. You know, he's not done as good of a job in – that in recent weeks he might be fighting through some type of injury I don't know I'm not gonna you know really get too far into that but I also noticed the Bills used his speed against him last time you know he would try to he would try to rush with a speed move and the left tackle or right tackle depending on what side he was lined up on would just kind of walk him back past the quarterback so he's going to need to get more into some of his power rush moves maybe you know go with the bull rush anything like that get just deeper into his bag fuller into his like repertoire of moves yeah 
No, that's a that's a great way to put it. He has been one of the more frustrating things there. But I do believe, like you said, it's it's almost like the Bills knew he is getting a great jump off the line. He is a speed guy. Allow him to get further back into the 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 backfield there and allow Josh Allen just to understand we're letting Matt Judon go all the way. Step up a little bit in the pocket. You'll be okay. And then you can go out right or left and do whatever you need to do. That worked great for them. So I do want to talk about, and this is a great segue, being able to talk about the defense here. The The big question that I'm asking right now is what have we been more disappointed in over the last four games of this season? Is it the offense or the defense? And it's a great thing to be able to talk about that defense because that's the thing that I'm the most disappointed in right now. I have been disappointed with the way that this defense finished the season because it was one of the things, it was basically the only thing that I was confident in. I thought that we had figured things out. I thought that Bill had gotten us into a great system. I thought, obviously, Matthew Judon was doing great work, and maybe now they're starting to figure him out. It could also be an injury. I hope that that's not the case, but either way, no excuses. Everybody has injuries right now. That's the playoff. So we have to still make things work. I've been disappointed, though, in the defense overall because I expected more from them. I don't really expect a ton from the offense, but I do expect a lot from the defense. Now, I understand that injuries and the whole COVID thing and the way that this year has been, it's been tough. We have gotten exposed in the secondary more recently because we did not have the horses back there to be able to carry the load. Losing Jonathan Jones earlier in the year, huge loss for us. Now we got injuries with Jalen Mills. You got guys like Miles Bryant being forced into roles that they shouldn't be in. As much as I love the little guy, he is in a position that he shouldn't be in having to cover a guy like Isaiah McKenzie, even though I'm not considering Isaiah McKenzie a good player whatsoever. He was clearly beat by him 90% of the time the last time we played the Bills. You can't have that happen. So we do have to switch up the coverage scheme. Like you said, switching up the safeties, go to two high, go to single high, whatever it needs to be, switch up the coverage scheme, especially on a player like that. You can't let that happen. You can't let little dump downs happen as well. The the passes to Singletary and Zach Moss were just destroying us because every, it seemed like every time you get a little bit of something, you make one little defensive play, they do a little dump down, gain back six to eight yards, and all of a sudden they have a man third down and they weren't getting stopped on third down so that was tough especially in that game against the Bills over the last four games they have given up 41 or 21 points to the Colts and Dolphins they've given up 33 points to the Bills this team is giving up too many points that all of a sudden we can't stop the run you had uh, two games where it was around 200 yards rushing against the Colts and the Dolphins you also gave up 114 against the Bills who only didn't run more because they were carving you up through the passing game so they didn't need to run the ball this team goes as far as the defense is going to take it in my opinion so I believe they need to step it up do you who, who have you been most disappointed in though Andrew over this last little area of the end of the season here well I think you made some great points to uh, kind of focus on the defense there I agree with pretty much everything you said um, I think you know an argument can be made for either unit being the more disappointing one um, I'm going to lean with the offense though and my reasoning for that is actually like it kind of comes down to a little tiebreaker and it's the penalties you know the whole the team as a whole has had way too many penalties you know they've just been shooting themselves in the foot with this whole thing but what really gets me is the false start penalties on offense you know and i kind of compare that to the offsides ones on defense where it's like okay on defense yeah you don't want to see it but hey you got you got a po you got um you know confused and beat by the other team's hard count, you know? Right. On offense, 
It's like you know exactly what the snap count is and you're you're still getting fooled by it, you know what I mean? <laughs> so that's that's really what kills me there. And then on top of that, you know, they've just had too many holding penalties that are, you know, negating big runs or big gains off of screens, things like that. Uh, looking at you, John o. Smith, particularly, but <laughs> I mean, it's really been the um, really been the unit as a whole. And they've just they've come out flat just so so often lately. You know what I mean? Like they just come out. Oh yeah. No no energy, and it just I feel like sometimes they put the defense in. A bad position where they're just unable to the defense is unable to get off the field because the offense keeps going three and out not to mention the turnovers and things like that so i mean it's close you could definitely make an argument for either or but i'm going to lean the offense here yeah no it's it's true i mean you can't play good defense if the offense is going to put you into a bad position and certainly mac jones has thrown more interceptions recently or we've had more turnovers recently which has certainly put us into a bad situation so yeah unfortunately you can go both ways so we need to figure it out pull it all together special teams too they're not they're not off the hook they're they've been screwing up as well so everybody needs to pull their weight in this one you're gonna to need to have a great combined effort from all phases of the game in order to beat this bills team so i i mean i, I hope that they could do it we're gonna see how it goes but now I do want to talk about kind of wrapping up the NFL season I did it a couple episodes ago telling you a few of my uh, you know like coach of the year and and league MVP and things like that now I want to get Andrew's opinions on things kind of reiterate my thoughts on it as well we're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL the claptrap with your host Zach Clapp Okay, we've been getting into this Patriots conversation here. We obviously have the big matchup against the Bills. I can't stop talking about it enough. It's the talk of the town. Everybody's excited. Everybody's nervous. It's going to be an interesting one here. But we do have to still wrap up kind of the talk of the NFL. The regular season is over now, so we got to go over some of the regular season awards who we think is going to be in each position here. I kind of started off that conversation a couple of seg- or a couple of episodes ago telling you about who I felt, like especially for the league MVP, which we're going to go over right now because I do want to get Andrew's takes on everything. And you heard me before. I personally believe that what Aaron Rodgers has done, especially at the end of the season, his ability since coming back from the COVID stint and having the over over 4,100 passing yards, 37 touchdowns, and only four interceptions. He's so efficient. He's on a team that is the number one team in the league by by record. I know that eventually the Bucks got back up to the 13 and four, but let's be honest. Obviously, the the Packers didn't really care about the game against the Lions. And then also, if you take out the game where Aaron Rodgers wasn't in it against the Chiefs, technically Rodgers on the season was 13 and two. And if he had stayed in for that second half against the Lions, I bet he would have got another win right there. So in this in this year, the way that things have gone down, the turmoil coming back from his ridiculous offseason stuff, and I know that's on him, and he's been a little bit annoying with that kind of thing there, and, and his will he, won't he play, that kind of stuff. But overall, I think the efficiency, the level of play he's been able to bring for the Packers towards the end of the year and the ability to get that number one overall seed for them wrapped up he has just, in my opinion, been the most valuable player in the entire league. Now, Andrew, do you agree with me on that one? I disagree wholeheartedly, and I'm a little shocked to hear you go on go on Rodgers over Tom Brady. Um, <laughs> you know, if there is a silver lining to Tom Brady leaving town, it's that I can just now shamelessly promote my Brady agenda and nobody can call me a homer because, hey, he doesn't play here anymore. But, um, no, I think... 
To me, Tom Brady, I mean, he's leading the league in a ton of statistical categories. Um, I think he's doing this in spite of what is oftentimes brutal coaching and play calling by the Bucks coaches. I mean, I just look at that entire franchise and I'm basically like, they were a poverty franchise before Brady and they will go right back to being a poverty franchise the minute he leaves. He is that True. entire franchise. He's a de facto GM. Half the guys that are on the team on team-friendly deals are there because of him, so he's bringing that value kind of as an off-the-field type thing. But um, I've also, like, you mentioned that Aaron Rodgers has over 4,100 passing yards. I mean, Tom Brady has over 1,000 more passing yards than Rodgers, and I understand, yeah, there's the hype of all the weapons down there in Tampa Bay, but, you know, his his full complement of weapons were only on the field together for about three games. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to point out about Brady is, he has been slightly less efficient than Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers definitely has the edge there, but Brady's been less, um, slightly less efficient with higher volume, significantly higher volume, which I think is harder to do. I think the smaller the sample size, the easier it is to be efficient. Um, as far as with the interceptions, yeah, Brady definitely has more interceptions than Rodgers this year for sure, but Brady has been the victim of a ton of his receivers, running backs, tight ends, whoever, just tipping the ball up on on-target throws for an easy interception for the defense. So I feel like those, his interception numbers, I feel like are a little bit misleading there. Yeah, I mean, I that's true. And also, he's on the FU tour again, so you know that there was uh, situations, I can remember at least two situations, where at the end of a half or at the end of a situation, he's just kind of throwing up basically a punt that it gets intercepted there. So I, I get that side of things. Uh, I will say the one thing, but I, but in all honesty, he's not going up for GM of the year. He's going for MVP of the year. I would say him as a GM, not so great. Brought in AB. That guy's crazy. Now he's screwing them over. So Brady, not a great job as a, a GM from that standpoint. But yeah, no, he, he certainly has done good from the, the statistical side of things, obviously. I just fully believe that Rodgers is going to be the guy. But, hey, if there is any – you want to talk about silver lining? If there's a silver lining, I, I'm pretty sure at this point no MVP has won the Super Bowl in the same year still. Is that – am I correct on that? I don't remember if that's the actual case. So It did happen once. I, I think it was 1999. It was one okay. of the years that uh, Kurt Warner won it. I mean, oh, okay. Right. And I will also mention, just as far as the MVP, I promise it has nothing to do with the fact that I have money on Tom Brady to win the MVP <laughs> at plus 1,200 odds. No, no, certainly not about that. But what I was going to say was, if that was the case, then sure, Brady can win the MVP because I'd rather him win MVP than win another Super Bowl, if, in my in my opinion there. So if there was any silver lining, if that was going to be the case, that, that would be what I was hoping for on that situation. But... That's okay. We, we we can disagree on that one there. Maybe I'm using a little bit of my bias now against Tom Brady at this point and going with Aaron Rodgers. Whatever. All right, people, give me a break. But I do want to talk about some other things as well. We got the coach of the year up there. I've already put out my opinion on who I want for coach of the year as well. I did say Mike Vrabel. He's my guy. He was my favorite Patriots player when he was on the team. What he's been able to do with this squad, with the historic 88 players used in a season from the amount of injuries. He lost Derrick Henry back in week eight he the ability to get this team to that position that number one overall seed I think it's clearly to me it's Mike Vrabel I don't know how you feel about this one we might agree on this one how do you feel though should Mike Vrabel be coach of the year to this year yeah I agree 100% on Vrabel being coach of the year and I I don't think it's particularly close I mean that team has just been decimated by injuries one after another all year long and still somehow we're able to cling on to the one seed you know and it just 
they played plenty of quality teams that had the opportunity to, you know, kick them and get them out of it while they're down, but now they get the bye week to get healthy. Derrick Henry ho uh, probably, hopefully coming back. You know, i definitely like to see him play in January. Um, but yeah, I think it's... I think it's a runaway for Mike Vrabel, just given all the injuries. I mean, they kept one of the most efficient rushing attacks in the league, despite the fact that, you know, pretty much every running back on the roster had gone down. They're just, you know, grabbing guys off the job site down the street that were plumbers and saying, hey, we're going to put you in, and they're still averaging four and a half yards a carry. It's so true. It's crazy to think. I mean, it just me. It just shows that his scheme is good. I think he's got a good defensive scheme too. He's got some really good players on defense. I will say that the little bit of the the negative for him is is just been such a parody filled year where every team has multiple losses, and usually you have one or two teams that only has a loss or two that would be much better. Uh, in position for a one overall seed. So I guess that would be the one thing against him. But, hey, you still got to just play whoever's in front of you and you get what is dealt to you. So they were able to handle it and get that number one seed. I guess the only other person that I might put anywhere close would be LaFleur from the, the – uh, the Packers there, that would be the only guy that I maybe could put in the conversation. But like you said, I think it's a clear runaway from Mike Vrabel, coach of the year. We both agree on that one. Uh, so, so no arguments there. But there is another question that I do have now, kind of springing from that coach debate, because there's been a lot of coaches fired over the last couple of weeks here, or over the last week here. And eventually, the Patriots are going to need a new coach. So I want to talk next about who we think the Patriots should look to as the next head coach for the Patriots. We're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Okay, we've been talking about the end of the year, big superlatives for the NFL. We talked about who we thought is going to be the MVP for the season. We talked about who we thought would be coach of the year. We both agreed that Mike Vrabel, most likely coach of the year, talking with Andrew about this whole situation, about the NFL season. And it brings me to another question. I've been thinking a lot lately, especially with these coaching firings. We have coaches being fired all around the league. It's the end of the, the year, and we always see uh, these teams, I, whether they're doing it for a good reason, a bad reason, whatever it is, they're just unloading these coaches so they can start over, start anew next year, and maybe that'll switch their or, or change their fate of their team going forward. But it brings up a hypothetical for me in this whole situation because – our good friend Brian Flores got fired from the Dolphins, uh, which I think unjustly, but we can get into that if we want to. So the hypothetical that that brings up to me is, who would you rather the Patriots have as their next head coach after Bill Belichick? Would you rather it go to Josh McDaniels? Or would you rather bring in a guy like a Brian Flores to lead the team going forward? I'm going to let you take this one to start off, Andrew. What do you think? I'm going to go with Brian Flores. Um, I mean, for starters, I always just, by default, kind of gravitate to defensive-minded coaches, which obviously that's what Flores is. Um, I think he's had some great game plans over the years, both for the Patriots and against them. Um, and I think he just overall showed me more as a head coach than McDaniels did in his stint as a head coach. Um, I think a big part of the problem in Miami that led to him getting fired is more the GM. GM's been there almost 20 years, hasn't really put together too great of a roster at any point in those 20 years. Um, you know, he drafted Tua over Justin Herbert. I mean, yep. are we even having this conversation if he made the right <laughs> choice and took Herbert? Probably not. And, you know, a ton of the games that Flores lost this year are games that Tua missed. 
So I just I don't see how you can really place any blame on him. I think they're using him as a scapegoat, and I would I would definitely prefer him as the next head coach of the Patriots over Josh McDaniels. Yeah, I, I think they are using him as a scapegoat. I, I think that that's an unfortunate thing that they do in the NFL, especially with a coach that I believe is good. I honestly do. And, uh, you know, maybe this team that, or they're going to go and get a whole new head coach or something like that. I know we were just kind of talking off air as well. Maybe they should be going after a guy like Gerard Mayo. What do you think about that kind of a move? I do. I like that. Uh, I like that move a lot. But unfortunately, they're going to have a little bit of competition going against the Texans there because he's actually came out yesterday, emerged as one of the leading candidates for the Texans head coaching job, which I don't know why anybody would want that dumpster fire. But um, one of the bright sides of the Patriots, though, I mean, it'll hurt losing Gerard Mayo. But uh, with the league's new rules for minority head coaches, they would be entitled to two third-round draft picks if the Texans were to hire Gerard Mayo as their next head coach. They'll get one in 2022 and one in 2023. Ooh, all right. Well, hey, I like that. Now I'm going to start rooting for that to happen. So <laughs> I'm sorry I like uh, Gerard Mayo and all, but you know, if we can go get some draft picks for him and he can go coach the, the Texans, that's fine by me. Maybe later on he can come back to the Patriots. But getting back to the original question here, you're going with Brian Flores to start or to start the new era of Patriots coaching. But I got to give it to Josh McDaniels. I'm personally going with him. I feel as though he has been groomed for this position his entire career. Uh, yeah, he did fail with the Broncos, especially with the Tim Tebow draft pick. And then he went to, with the whole Colts situation, which makes him look kind of flaky. I get that. But what he's been able to do with this Patriots offense for years is legit, in my opinion. Yes, he did have Tom Brady to help him make this job very, very easy for him. I get that. I understand. But he's also done a good job helping Mac Jones progress through this rookie season. I know that he's had his his ups and downs at points, but he has progressed probably more than any other rookie quarterback this year. He was able to get the most out of a terrible Patriots offense last year. Regardless of what you think about that season, when he had Cam Newton as his quarterback and you still get this team to seven wins and they're able to still score points, I know not in every single game, but there were some games where that offense actually looked really good with Cam Newton at the helm. I, that, to me, is, is a, a nice feather in his cap. I think he deserves another shot as a, head, as a head coach in the NFL, and I believe that the Patriots are the perfect organization for that because he is comfortable with it. He has shown that he is able to work with this system. I have faith in him following along in that Patriot system that's basically already implemented for him. I have no faith in him going to another team and trying to set up his version of the system, let you know that right now. But I do think that in the Patriot system, he would be able to figure things out. He's good with quarterbacks. He's good with the offense. Like I said, I think that he's been groomed this whole time to be the next guy to come in after Bill Belichick. Certainly not Matt Patricia, that's for sure. And I think that Flores is going to end up going and getting another job right now, so he might not even be in the running anyways. But the hypothetical, if they were both up there, ready to go, I personally wanted Josh McDaniels. I think that that is the better situation for that. And, you know, we'll see how things go in the future. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Maybe Brian, Brian Flores will be available and we can get him in here as well. I think that both are really good options in my opinion, but I'm going with Josh McDaniels on that one. So we have this big game this weekend. We've now gone over it. Now all the talking is going to be done. We got to just get to the playing of the game. You've gone over the keys to the game. We've gone over everything we think about the Bills, the Patriots. If you didn't listen to any of it, this is all going to be up as a podcast. 
Just search the Claptrap. You'll be able to hear what we said about the Bills-Patriots game and everything else that we talked about in this episode. I just want to say thank you again to Andrew for coming on to this episode here, talking two times this week with me about everything Patriots. I'm sure we'll be back again next week, hopefully talking some good things, hopefully talking about a possible next playoff matchup. But, hey, you knock on wood, we got to get through one game first, and then we move on from there. But once again, thank you, Andrew. I appreciate you coming on this week, and we will see you again next week. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, you guys, keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Capes Classic Alternative. Now it's time to win you some money with a couple minutes of gambling talk. All right, it is time for everyone's favorite gambling segment ever. That's what I, I'm going with right now. Everybody loves this gambling segment, and I'm telling you why. It's because this gambling segment has produced some real winners this year, including our, our fellow uh, talk host here, Andrew, who won the competition. So first of all, just a little, we're going to clap it up real quick for Andrew. Great job winning the competition. He came in at a record of 51-38 and won. He, he, he did a great job coming back at the end. It was an extremely tight race going into the last weekend with three of us all within striking distance for that championship between myself cam and andrew andrew ended up pulling it out by 0.5 of a game he beat out cam cam who had a 51 and 39 record he had a 51 38 and one so that push got you that win great job on that how you feeling after winning the competition andrew i'm pumped i mean anytime you you know can get any type of little bonus on top of, you know, having a winning season. That's always huge. Um, definitely shout out to Cam. He had a tremendous season as well, as did you. Um, you know, pretty much if you were to tail the whole group or whole competition, you would have been up money. So that's always oh, yeah. good for the show. Um, but yeah, excited to, uh, you know, start looking at some lines and some props for this weekend and the rest of the playoff matchups and making some more money. Yeah, that's uh, we're we're gonna be looking into that kind of stuff there, and that you know we're gonna maybe maybe even think of another possible competition. But like you said, if you were following along, if you had bet every single person in this competition, all five of us, every single one of our bets, first of all, you'd be a psycho because you'd have so many bets on your card, it'd be insane. But secondly, you'd be up money. We were hitting as a group at fifty-two percent on the year, two hundred and thirty-six, two hundred and ten, and four on the season. So. Great job by the entire crew on being able to do that. I know that we're going to have some bounce-back performances from Matt and Dan next year if we do this, assuming that they're in the competition again, because we will be doing it again, people, for next season. It's going to be a good time. Uh, I, once again, I just want to say a, a, a praise to Andrew. He had to go 5-0 and on his last week's card to win the championship once again. So a perfect card to fin finish off the year. Perfect time for you to have it. And, and congrats on that once again. But yeah, it was a, it was a great competition. We were able to do a lot of good picks for everybody out there. Hopefully some people were listening along and following along and able to win some money. If they, if they had followed along the top three, Cam, myself and Andrew, like we said, you'd be hitting at a pretty good rate at this point. So we'll keep doing that for you. And I do want to think about, and, and Mendez had uh, thrown it out there on Twitter. If you will follow along at the clap trap or at Zach clap or at Patriots underscore Andrew, we talk about the competition and everything on Twitter all the time. And, and Dan threw out an idea to possibly have a Super Bowl competition in which we would all pick a certain amount of player props 
and then do a little competition there. What do you think, Andrew? Do you think we should do just the Super Bowl? Do you think we should try and inc- include other playoff games as well? Do you like that idea? Where are you at with that? Um, I mean, I'd be on board with pretty much any format of it. I mean, obviously, with the being a gambling show, like we'll all be heavily involved in the Super Bowl props, um, you know, game props, player props. You know, it's, those are typically games that are tougher to bet the spread because it's the most efficient line of the year. But you more bet that one just kind of for kind of for fun, I guess. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be down to do it as you know, one whole other competition, a new competition every week, just based off those matchups. I mean, pretty much any way you slice it, I'd be in. Yeah, I like it. I think that we might end up doing something like that. So stay posted to the Twitter because we will let you know if we're doing anything like that. Now, you said that you were looking into this weekend's uh, lines and everything. I know that I've put a a heavy two-unit bet on the Patriots money line, and I got to just let you know out there, if if you're listening right now, that was a bet with my heart bet. I have no confidence in that bet that the Patriots are going to be able to pull off this game. It is all heart, people, so don't follow me on this one. I'm going Patriots money line. Do you have any other bets from the weekend that you feel you would be confident in? Any spreads, any money lines, anything like that? Or have you still not really looked into it yet? Um, I've only begun to be kind of preliminary in the player props just because a ton of them actually haven't been released. I don't know why they're right. Why they're so late coming out this week. I'm not sure what's going on with that. I mean, I'm sure probably when I check later today, they'll mostly be up, but it's been a very limited thing from the player props thus far. Um, I, I haven't actually bet any spreads yet, just because with COVID running so rampant, like I don't want to bet heavy on True. one team and then have them, you know, be missing three offensive linemen with COVID the next day. So usually I'm, I'm a big proponent of getting my bets in earlier in the week, because a lot of times, you know, you're getting better value before the lines move. But um, you know, with COVID running so rampant at this point in time, I'm probably going to be placing most of my bets closer to kickoff just so I know for sure, hey, everybody that I think is playing is in fact playing. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a good way to do it. And actually, that brings up a good point of something that I wanted to talk about, and that was that closing line value. We had talked about that at the last episode off air and everything with, with your final picks going into it. So it is a lot about that. I want you to talk a little bit now about the, the closing line value because you had even been talking about that very early in the season we, when we had just started talking about the bet competition, right? That was, that was one of your big things. Yeah, I mean, beating closing line value is one of the biggest strategies that I use because at the end of the day, I look at it as I might be analyzing a game, looking at a couple different data points. Vegas is using thousands of them. You know, they're much more equipped to do this type of thing than me. So instead of thinking, hey, I'm smarter than them and I'm going to, you know, be beat them on every single line or whatever, I kind of accept the fact that, hey, they're incredibly efficient at what they do. So I'm not going to beat them if I'm continually betting the worst odds that they're going to offer. You know, I need to get the best every bet at the best number I can. And that has been, that has proven huge for me throughout this year. Um, I will say this year has been a little bit of an anomaly in that sense where the opening line has been more efficient than the closing line, a little more than usual. The closing line is still obviously much more efficient than the opening line, but it's been a little less skewed in the closing line favor this year. Um, when it came to the competition last week, a uh, perfect example of it, I bet on Friday, I stuck with player props because, you know, last week of the season, you don't know who's resting starters, what's going on with that, so I went with an all-player prop matchup, and what stuck out to me was I bet Keenan Allen on Friday over five and a half receptions, and he finished the game with six. However, 
If you check that same spread Sunday night, that line had moved to six and a half. So to win the competition, the fact that I beat closing line value by one reception is the reason why I won the competition. So it really highlights how important it is. Yeah, it's great. It's crazy. Crazy to think that it would have been that if you had done it a little later. And that was one of the things about this competition that made it more interesting. We were putting out all of our picks either Thursday night or Friday morning. So the lines did move. Players got injured. Things happened. That's just how it was. But it was a little extra wrinkle to the competition that I thought was more interesting, more fun about that. And you really had to tune in to get our picks earlier in the week. But, you know, it, it certainly could change. It certainly can make it a lot harder for any betting individual that is, is you know, hoping to get the best line but uh once again congrats to you andrew we will be back again to do more of the gambling competitions possibly if we're going to talk and figure it out if we'll do one for the playoffs or at least for the super bowl and we'll figure everything out from there but uh that that's going to do it for another episode of the clap trap just want to say thank you to anyone tuning in anyone who's been following along with the gambling competition all year i appreciate you i hope we've won you some money i hope you didn't fade the wrong people I thought I hope that you followed along with the top dogs and we're going to try and do it again in the future. So keep, keep tuning in to this show. We will try and get better at our betting knowledge and making our better picks, but I will talk to you guys later. We'll talk to Andrew again next week. We will see you later. Later.